0: what do you think is the basis for a solid marriage what brings true joy to the marriage relationship well a marriage that brings lasting satisfaction and joy can't be built on excitement and infatuation those don't last Rather, it needs to be established on love that is selfless and persevering, love that mirrors God's love for us. This is the predominant message of the Song of Solomon. Stephen called this lesson, What to Do When the Honeymoon is Over.
1: On our last wisdom journey, we sat in the audience on the wedding day of Solomon and his bride. Well, not today, as we continue in chapter 5 in the Song of Solomon. The wedding party has gone home. Uh, The happy couple have finished their honeymoon, as we would call it, and now they've settled into their newlywed uh, routine. And now something all married couples experience takes place. One author described it in terms of an hourglass. Once a couple becomes deeply in love, that hourglass gets turned over, and there's just enough sand in that hourglass to last about 12 to 18 months. And after that, he wrote, and I think uh, realistically, sexual chemistry and romantic attraction can remain, but they cease to be the main glue that holds a relationship together. Which is why, by the way, the marriages of so many people in our culture today don't last but two years. They were built entirely on physical, uh, romantic foundations. Even Christian couples realize after two years, on average, that a marriage isn't built in the bedroom, it's built out there in the living room, in the kitchen of everyday life. Now, by the time we reach chapter 5 in this love story, the hourglass has run out of sand, so to speak. Solomon's bride says here in verse 2 I slept, but my heart was awake, a sound. My beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. Well, what's happening? Solomon wants his wife, but she's indifferent. She says here in verse 3 I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? Well, she does come around. She says here in verse 6 I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. Well, he's taken it personally and he's left. And now he's withdrawn, and she's indifferent. And at this point, uh, this marriage-building process begins to take place. I've often said to husbands and wives that when you're courting, and in the early days of your marriage, for the most part, it's a fairly smooth path. But sometime later, a truck pulls up at your front door and drops off a load of bricks. And you begin, in earnest, at that point— Either building a wall between you and your spouse or building a path to each other. And you have to decide every day how you're going to build those bricks. Now, for this bride, uh, verse 9 becomes a turning point. She's dreaming here, and she begins to tell all her friends, the daughters of Jerusalem, you know, what a wonderful man her husband is. And, well, he isn't perfect. But she's once again focusing on his better qualities. She says here in verse 16, this is my beloved. This is my friend. You know, it's easy to lose sight of, of the better qualities of the person you married. Uh, I read some time ago of a couple who were disenchanted with each other. They both secretly found someone else online. They began developing a relationship with that person. They, they remained anonymous through this dating site, but they, they just seemed to understand each other so well they they each found the kindred spirit they believed they were missing in uh, the person they had married. Well, the man finally decided to meet the other woman, and without knowing it, his wife had decided to meet the other man. She'd fallen in love with him. On the same night, they came up with an excuse to leave the house about the same time. When they met the other person at last, they discovered to their surprise that the other person was their own spouse. The one they wanted Was the spouse they already had. Let me recommend that you keep a mental list of the qualities of the one you married. It might be a good idea to review that list every now and then. Well, now, here in chapter 6, it seems the couple has has made up. The wife says here in verse 3, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Let me tell you something, these words express something very important. They communicate commitment and exclusivity. Let me tell you, fellow husbands, those are words your wife wants to assign to you. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. With that, Solomon returns to graciously praising her like he did back on his wedding day. Now, here in verses 8 and 9, we need to deal with the difficulty of what this seems to be expressing, Solomon is speaking and he writes here, there are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. The young women saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines also, and they praised her. Now, there's a lot of debate, obviously, as to whose royal court these women belong is this Solomon's royal court or some other foreign king? Is this his entourage who may be visiting Solomon? Well, the truth is we can't tell for sure. But what we do know is that here in verse 10, Solomon, his praise is exclusively for his wife. Now, here in verse 13, we finally learn the name of Solomon's wife. Well, well, sort of. Here she's called the Shulamite. Now, this could mean she's from Shunem, a town in the Jezreel Valley in central Israel. But more than likely, this is Solomon's pet name for her, just as you might call your spouse Honey or Sugar or Sweetie. It's your pet name uh, for your beloved. Now, throughout all of chapter 7 and chapter 8, Solomon and the Shulamite, they exchange passionate talk, uh, rather sensual, intimate compliments— But I want to make some observations from chapter 8 as this song begins now its final stanza. In fact, I want to draw from here three principles that every husband and wife today can use as you build a path of stepping stones toward uh, each other. We'll call it uh, the first stepping stone, and this one is permanence. The Shulamite says here to Solomon in verse 6, Set me as a seal upon your heart, that is your affections, as a seal upon your arm, that is your strength. Now, a seal in the ancient world, typically created by pressing an engraved ring into wax, established uh, ownership. It it spoke of permanence. So she's asking Solomon to make it clear, not only to her, but, but their world, that his affection for her is permanent. It is sealed. The second stepping stone we could call perseverance. She says here in verse 7, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. This statement speaks of persevering. When I pray that final prayer of commitment, whenever I preside at a wedding ceremony I'm often overwhelmed with the thought of the floodwaters that this couple is going to face. Trials, heartaches, disappointments are going to come right along with all the joys and blessings and laughter. And and I know they're going to experience them all and they're going to need to persevere. So think of it, think of it this way. Prayer works for the Christian, but you got to work at prayer. Prayer works but prayer is hard work. Well, marriage works, but you got to work at your marriage. Marriage works, but marriage is hard work. Why? Why should it be that way? Why does it have to be that way? Well, because marriage is the union of two sinners. That's why. But if your marriage includes the principles of permanence and perseverance, when those floods come, you're not going to jump overboard. Instead, you're going, to, you're going to plug up the leaks, and you're going to keep sailing together. Well, there's a final stepping stone, and we'll call this pricelessness. Listen to these song lyrics here in verse 7. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. In other words, true love can't be bought. It doesn't have a price tag. What makes love priceless is that it can only be given and received as a gift. So the concluding verses have Solomon desiring to hear his wife's voice up close as she invites him to make haste. See, their marriage is built on commitment to the Lord and to each other. This is how you build a marriage long after the honeymoon is over. And with that, we come to the end of this song of songs, a love song, straight from the heart of God. Until our next wisdom journey, beloved, when we begin the book of Isaiah together, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
0: Stephen called that lesson, What to Do When the Honeymoon is Over. With this lesson, Stephen ends our time in the Song of Solomon. When we come back next time, we'll begin Isaiah. All of the lessons of this wisdom journey are posted online. You can now watch or listen to Genesis Through the Song of Solomon at wisdomonline.org. Visit there today, then come back next time to continue the wisdom journey.